Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Through a Lens. I am Alex Heights, your host, your one and only host of this solo cast where I talk about philosophy, theology, uh, the human condition, psychology, um, just kind of general, you know, culture. I'm just a, a, a human pundit, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, um, so I've done a few episodes of this podcast now, um, but today I would like to talk about my theodicy. Now, what is a theodicy? A theodicy is someone's answer to the problem of evil. They're the model through which they explain why evil does exist in the world. Um, And mine is somewhat extensive, but I've thought a lot about this, and it's been something I've kind of grappled with, and I've sort of landed in a quote-unquote comfortable spot um, intellectually. Um, and there, there's a very big separation between the intellectual and the emotional side of this problem. But um, if you haven't listened to any of my previous episodes, um, my first one is about objective truth and how I am at, pr- at the base of everything. I'm trying to pursue objective truth. I'm trying to find out what is real and what is true. And I think that these views that I have cultivated um, are true. They might not be true. Uh, They could be proven false at some point, in which case I would adjust. Because more so than being a libertarian conservative or being a Protestant Christian, I am a truth seeker. So if my Christianity, Christian views are proved false um, adequately, then I will will change, I'll shift gears, I'll reevaluate. But until that happens, these are the views that I hold. Now, what what exactly, pray tell, is is my theodicy? What is my answer to the problem of evil? Well, it it's kind of broad. I have to kind of go broad, go specific, and then kind of narrow in back to the problem of evil. So, uh, this is taken mostly from a blog post from my blog, alexheights.tumblr.com. It's my through a lens blog. So this is just kind of an audio version of this article I wrote. Uh, How long ago did I write this? December of 2018. So it's been a couple months, about three months. So why would a good God give a child bone cancer and let them die for no reason? I'm sure you've heard this said many times before uh, as a common objection to Christianity or theism as a whole. The problem of evil is a massive obstacle. Mastiff? Massive, a massive obstacle for a legion of people in coming to believe in Christianity. Now, in the infamous debate between Sam Harris and William Lane Craig at the University of Notre Dame, in which I would say it's almost unanimously agreed upon intellectually that Sam was slaughtered, um, but like all the, the atheists on the internet were like, oh yeah, he poked fun at William Lane Craig, but he completely just avoided all the topics. Um, Harris continually made these sorts of appeals. Why would a good God give a child bone cancer? Even though I don't even remember the the exact topic of debate. If I open it up, it's about um, just the God debate. Does God exist? And I believe that he just uses the problem of evil as a way of disproving that he does. I can't fully remember. Anyway, uh, you would say, why would a good God allow a tsunami to destroy a third world country? Now, these questions won over the general crowd, um, as William Lane Craig refused to play into these points as they weren't the topic of the debate, even though he's covered them extensively himself in other places. He could have, you know, condescended to that level and been like, okay, I'll answer your questions, but he didn't because 
that wasn't the topic of the debate, so he refrained and, and stayed on track, which is why I think he won, um, <clears throat> even though he didn't answer the questions per se. Now, Craig's ideas are what I'm going to be basing my theodicy on here. Now, what is a theodicy? It's one's attempt to solve the problem of evil. After some delving into this topic for quite a while, uh, I was able to easily come to peace with this issue upon some very mild research. So, there are a couple of ideas I need to set straight and clear before we can proceed, uh, at least for, for my model of a theodicy. First, let's establish what the actual issue is. One, evil exists. Two, the Christian claim is that God is all good and all powerful. Three, since evil does exist, God is either not powerful enough to stop it or is not good. So this, this is a common uh, argument for why God couldn't possibly exist, even though this kind of just devolves into the moral argument where you say, well, if God doesn't exist, then evil doesn't exist, right? You can't quantify evil. It's just things happening. So second, we need to look at God's attributes and come to a clear conclusion on a particular soteriology. Now, a soteriology is a doctrine of salvation, how God operates within uh, human history, human freedom, in terms of how he saves people. Uh, so here are his standard features, <coughs> one to five. So uh, one, omnipotent, all-powerful. Two, omniscient, or all-knowing. Three, omnipresent, exists in all places at all times in some form. Four, immaterial slash metaphysical. Five, personal slash autonomous. Um, now, there's a, a link to a page in, in my blog that lists basically everything extensively, but most of the points of those five points cover the subtle and specific attributes. So now let's get to work. <coughs> With these two ideas set forth, a new point arises. Has God predetermined all of history? Are we simply puppets and have no will in any given choice? Has human suffering been something outside of our control from day one? My answer, yes and no, but with a strong inflection on the no. Let's talk soteriology now, the doctrine of salvation. This camp of thinking usually lands on one of two sides, Calvinism and Arminianism, with Lutheranism being something of a middle ground between the two. <clears throat> the debate between these two has been very extensive and has lasted for most of Protestantism. Um, I'll try to summarize the two views briefly, so pardon any details that get lost in the translation on this one. So, Calvinism usually distilled down to these five points known as TULIP, which is an acronym for like total depravity, uh, unconditional election, etc. So one, <clears throat> humans are in bondage to sin and wholly unable to choose to follow God unless God bestows grace upon them to do so. Two, God has chosen the select peoples who will accept salvation, leaving the rest to damnation. Three, Jesus' atonement on the cross only redeemed the sins of the elect and was not extended to all humans. Four, the elect are converted to Christianity monergistically, meaning that the Holy Spirit works in them to bring them to salvation, regardless of the individual's cooperation. 
5. The elect to salvation can and will never apostatize, meaning that once they're saved, absolutely nothing, including themselves, can unsave them. <coughs> now, Arminianism, to a greater or lesser extent, is the inverse of these views, giving humans much more say in their destiny. When I first came upon these competing views in soteriology, I grappled with Calvinism for at least a solid month. It's a massive pill to swallow for many Christians. I watched Calvinist preachers, apologists give their takes, and at the end of the day, I could not accept Calvinism. It seemed to fly in the face of how the gospel functioned, and it didn't sit well with me whatsoever on nearly every level, save for maybe total depravity. I could give it that. Um, but when someone like John Piper is asked how God can be sovereign over all human decisions, and yet those decisions still are morally accountable and responsible on part of the said humans, he flat out says, as a Calvinist, I don't have an ultimate answer. Now, the rhetoric in these areas often turn to, oh, I can hold them in tension, or, oh, it's just a mystery that we may never understand. This, this wasn't enough for me. Yes, there are obvious mysteries in Christianity and scripture, etc., but I don't think this needs to be one. It doesn't make sense for it to be one. It's just basic, you can't have a square circle, you can't have a married bachelor. These things contradict. It's surface theology, basic scriptural doctrine. I don't have an ultimate answer equals your model isn't fully functional. So I ended up putting Calvinism on the shelf and I kept looking. Then I found William Lane Craig's case for Molinism and my soteriology came to peace. Now, Molinism is something like a very traditional view of Arminianism, but one that doesn't make God look like a wet noodle who gives humans a bit too much say in their history, kind of like what modern Arminianism has become. Um, I posted a video in the in the article about Craig describing Molinism. Um, you can look it up. It's called What is Molinism with William Lane Craig. It's uh, <clears throat> on David Wood's channel. Um, the key takeaway from this ideology is that God has the sovereignty of the circumstance and we have the freedom of the choice. Our choice isn't forced, merely the scenario. So the, I, the key point of Molinism is middle knowledge. Now, what is middle knowledge? Well, it's, it's a, I believe, subjunctive conditionals. God knows subjunctive conditionals. So there exists between God knows what could happen, and then on the other side of that is God knows what will happen. But in between those two things, could and will, is God knows what would happen. So if God knows what would happen if he were to put any specific person in any specific circumstance, what they would do, then that's, that's a game changer. If he knows, okay, this soul needs to go in, in this body at, at this point in time, they need to be born here, um, then that, that's end all be all, it solves the problem. Think of it as bumpers on a bowling lane. We can't enter the gutters, but we can roll about the lane and we will ultimately hit the pins at the end. God might have us on an open lane in some areas of our life, allowing us to hit a variety of pins, or he may have us on a strict course, allowing us only to bring in a meager spare, maybe. 
The distinction to be made out of all of this is that God isn't choosing where we move, merely the space in which we have freedom to move. Still, he's cognizant of every inch that we do move. That's what's important. And uh, you can look up uh, permissive will versus perfect will on this. Um, basically, the things that God ordains versus the things he allows. Because obviously, you can't say he has ordained everything overriding all personal autonomy, because that makes him the author of evil. That means God has ordained and orchestrated and forced humans to perform the Holocaust and communism, you know, like a hundred million, however many people in the 20th century. Um, like, no, 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 no. But if we know what God allows people to do versus what he ordains them to do, that's very different. So now Molinism, it might not be wholly true. I'll, I'll, I'll posit that. It might not be the whole truth here. But it at least provides a model to remove the conflict between divine providence and human freedom that Calvinism claims has to remain a mystery. And if a possible model for alleviating a contradiction can be made, said contradiction is now nullified because it's shown to not be a contradiction. There's a way out of the contradiction. So um, that kind of removes the certainty that, oh, God... God forced Hitler to do the things that he did. No, it's it's not as clear-cut as that. So um, we can't say that God orchestrates evil specifically. We can't phrase it that way. So why all of that soteriology stuff? <clears throat> well, Calvinists have a hard time evangelizing when it comes to the problem of evil because their answer is that God enacts everything. He pulls the strings. He forces people to do evil acts beyond their personal will and ultimately decides who returns to him and who is cast into the abyss. It's not hard to paint God as the author of evil in Calvinist doctrine. That was my key problem. But to show that this might not be the case helps to lift the burden, the image of a tyrant God, to show that we've brought the poison, we've opened the veil covering the darkness, we've covered ourselves in leaves and hidden from the light. But with God still sovereign on the throne, how do we move forward with a theodicy? Enter chaos theory, or moreover, the butterfly effect. You might be familiar with this. So here's an excerpt from the Wikipedia article on the butterfly effect to easily describe what it is. Uh, derived from the metaphorical example of the details of a tornado, the exact time of formation, the exact path taken, being influenced by minor per perturbations, perturbs, minor effects, uh, such as the flapping of the wings of a distant butterfly several weeks earlier. Basically, this ever-expanding exponential domino effect. This happens all the time in real life, just... Like, uh, what does this mean? Well, it means that the tiniest choices that we make have infinite influence. Any event can be traced back to the smallest of incidents. Would Abraham Lincoln have existed if his parents hadn't met and had intercourse at the precisely correct moment? Them meeting could have never happened if one of them had taken ill at the wrong time, or one of them tripped on the sidewalk, making them late for a meeting somewhere. The available alternatives are endless. When you stop and think about things this way, you realize how not chaotic the world is. Because, I mean, like, for given all the different possibilities that could happen, 
things seem pretty orchestrated and on track. I mean, there's a lot of people, billions of people, so there's bound to be some anomalies and you can't quite account for everything. But with human freedom still intact in some form, it, it's pretty on the rails. Uh, are you drinking something right now? What shirt are you wearing and what does it say? What have you posted on social media today? If you're drinking, that could cause you to visit the restroom of a grocery store at the exact moment needed for you to run into an old friend that you haven't talked to in years, one who might need your help. Your shirt could be a conversation starter for someone on the street or could say something to someone that say something that someone needs to hear today. Same with your social media presence. Once you realize the possibilities, everything under the sun gains massive interwoven significance. Nothing is out of place. Vestigial organs, like the appendix or whatever, uh, might have a purpose now, as the mere act of getting it removed impacts history in countless ways. Now, we can no longer say, why would a good god give a child bone cancer and let them die for no reason? As we simply cannot make that claim. We cannot say for no reason because we cannot fathom the amount of good or evil even such an act can bring. There are plenty of anecdotal stories and accounts of beauty arising from tragedy, and it might not even appear until years or centuries later. The hardest pill one would have to swallow is to realize that all of the pain and suffering allowed to exist in the world exists solely for the purpose to bring as many souls freely into God's presence as possible. Some may find this detestable, but I'd claim that these people would have far broader qualms with God that don't burrow this deep into this specific field. They wouldn't care to think this far in as they dismiss it a ways back. I would diagnose this as a different problem, a problem of just simply hating God's nature, hating his will, and thinking him an egotistical tyrant, which is a different issue than what I'm trying to address here. But still, <clears throat> it helps, I think, to see that God isn't forcing people into his presence against their will. You get to choose where you want to be, with him or without him. But beware, succumbing to gravity is much easier than climbing. So um, I hope that this had some interesting things to say to you. Um, these ideas have given me a lot of peace in a lot of areas of life, as I no longer feel pressed to question God and his providence in an indignant way. And even when I do, there are resonant psalms of lament I can turn to if need be. I see his goodness in so much, so much. And I trust in his character, his nature, and his commandments because I see, I see it plainly in reality. So when I see grief, pain, heartache, despair, I remember Matthew 8, what a carpenter said when he was awoken aboard a sea-swept boat. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? The winds will be calmed. Have great faith in this, faith in this, because peace will be found there. So that's my blog post from uh, a couple months ago. Um, I hope that was helpful in some way. Um, now that's that, that solves the intellectual problem. I think it shows that we can't possibly ask these questions because we're such small creatures with such small amounts of knowledge. We're always learning new things. 
Um, even humanity as a whole has a lot that it does not know about this world, about history, about the cosmos. So we just can't say for certain. It's like, right, why am I depressed? God, why am I depressed? It's like, well, you know, if being in an unfortunate situation was bad, then the dentist would be evil. Going to the dentist would be evil. Like, sometimes you need to be in pain to come through it. And um, I'm going to talk a bit about that as well in my marriage episode, where I talk about marriage and relationships in general. Um, but uh, this, this is a very key, it's part of life too, I think. You, you could hear even secular people say this, but you have to... Um, you have to go through pain to get stronger. Um, you, you see this all over the place. And like just even working out, you're destroying your muscles so they can grow back stronger. Um, it, it's ever present in reality. It's woven through the fabric of, of, of everything. You, you have to go through tough times to learn. You have to get out of your comfort zone. This is all very basic like Facebook meme level inspirational quotes. But they strike at a very core truth, I think. Um, so when you say like, oh, why, why, why am I suffering with chronic pain? Why am I depressed? God must hate me. Why isn't he alleviating it? And I would say it's valid to ask why it's valid to pray why, but you can't be indignant about it because you just, you don't have enough knowledge. And once I recognize that in myself, it, it just like took took a weight off my shoulders. It's like, I don't need to worry about as much as I do. I just need to concern myself with how I'm acting, the the nature I put on, how, li- how much I think of myself and how much I should dial that down, how much I should be concerned with those around me, loving them, making sure that they're on the right track. And it, it just, it takes so much stress out of the day, I think, because otherwise you get this existential dread and worry. And uh, it, it can really creep in. So uh, this was a longer one. I expected it to be. It's probably my most most lengthy uh, thing I've written on. Uh, but I hope it helped. I hope, I hope it gave a little bit of insight and a little bit of perspective. Uh, you might not agree with it, but that's okay. Um, it's a little rambly, a little specific. So uh, yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, I'll be doing my marriage and relation one, relationship one soon. So t- stay tuned for that. And uh, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.